We're turning in our Bibles today to the book of Philippians again, turning to the book of Philippians in the chapter 2, God willing, this afternoon we will finish the second chapter, uh, which will mark the halfway point in the book of Philippians, four chapters in Philippians, and we're going to consider the final verses here in chapter 2. We're uh, looking at two Christ-like examples today, that is our title, uh, two Christ-like Examples. Philippians, please, in the chapter 2, and we're going to read from the verse 19. This is the word of the Lord. And it reads, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and neighbor and fellow soldier, uh, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy upon him, and not only, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service, Toward me. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of His Word to each of our hearts. Two Christ like examples. I feel that before considering these verses today, it would be beneficial to remind ourselves of the circumstances behind the writing of this letter. We know that the context is Rome. That's where Paul was writing from. It was around AD 60. And the Apostle Paul is in. Uh, house, under house arrest, possibly even by this stage in prison. He had been arrested in Jerusalem. He was then moved to Caesarea Philippi. And then from Caesarea he was transferred to Rome, where he was now in prison. He was awaiting a trial. And he doesn't know what was going to happen. He, he didn't know whether the result of that trial would be that he would live or if he would die. And he has this feeling that he's possibly going to live, but he is ready to die. And he hopes that he will be able to return to the Philippian church at least one more time. And while he's in Rome, these dear believers in Philippi, they send to him this individual who we find in our text today, Epaphroditus. Uh, and that's an important name that we're going to think about. Uh, and he had gone to Rome to let Paul know what was going on in the church of Philippi. And he also takes a gift from the Philippian church to Paul. Uh, for which Paul thanks him later on in this letter. And he was, Paul, he was receiving Epaphroditus at a very critical point because Epaphroditus came in and he encouraged Paul. 
Paul is distressed and he's discouraged. Uh, yes, he writes this letter of joy, but he's there and he's in great need of his friends in Christ. And here's Epaphroditus who steps onto the scene and Paul is encouraged by his presence with him. Now, it may be that the church in Philippi thought that if they sent Epaphroditus to Paul, that Paul might be good enough to send Timothy back to them. I don't know. Uh, because, you see, we know that there were a number of pastoral issues which were in need of maybe an apostle coming in to treat. And in the absence of Paul, Timothy was the most prominent of the apostles. And so it may have been in their anticipation that they would send Epaphroditus to be with Paul, and Paul would send Timothy back. We don't know that. I'm just speculating. But Paul is concerned to keep Timothy with him. He wants Timothy. He doesn't know what life holds, and Timothy has been so faithful to him. Uh, and Tim Paul would quite like to keep Timothy until the end, whether he's released or whether he dies. And while he recognises the needs of the church in Philippi, he, he deems it wise, the wisest course of action, to send Epaphroditus back to them for multiple reasons and to keep Timothy. And Paul conveyed much of his pastoral concern and encouragement in this brief letter of Philippians, which we have been studying together and he sends it off back to the Philippian church in the hand of Epaphroditus. And it's a letter full of encouragement. We've learned that so far. It's full of joy and it's full of exhortation. And as we discovered, one of the prevailing problems in this church, which Paul has been dealing with from the end of chapter 1 right through to these verses that we've been considering today, is this increasing sense of disunity. Uh, groups beginning to polarise from one another within the church fellowship. Perhaps when they gathered for worship, they always sat in the same seats, beside the same people. Uh, it was nothing, maybe nothing more than that at the start. But then that can start to uh, cause cliques to form. Uh, and then the unity of the church fellowship was being marked. Uh, and Paul encouraged them to love each other under the basis of their union with Christ, to make sure that they're not doing things out of selfishness and conceit, but rather that they were displaying an attitude of humility. Has not been the key word in chapter 2? Humility. Let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So much of it, as it goes on and Paul speaks through, that word of humility can be stumped over chapter 2 of Philippians, and that really has been the theme. And having mentioned humility, Paul provides the supreme example of humility in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at that in verses 5 to 11, describing the humility, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of glory, the, the Lord who stooped down, making the greatest stoop of all time, not only to come into our time, but to come as an incarnated man, uh, to die a very shameful death on a Roman cross and to bear the wrath of God. And then Paul says, in light of that, in verse 12, he encourages the readers to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And if there are any, and if there are any doubt of what's involved in that, he begins to tell them in verse 14, I want you to do things without grumbling, I want you to do things without complaining, uh, so that you'll be blameless and harmless sons of God. Uh, I want you to hold forth the word of life. I want you to rejoice so that you'll rejoice in the day of Christ. I want you to run not in vain. I, I want you to offer yourself as living sacrifices. And Paul says, I want to make it plain. This is how you work out your salvation. You work out what God has worked in. 
So Paul, having gone through all this, he's given this word of exhortation for the church to be humble, to have the mind of Christ. And he used the illustration of the Lord Jesus, and then he told them the practical implications of us living for Christ. And then he says, here, I've got two men here already doing that. I want to tell you about two men. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. We want to learn a number of lessons, just three lessons from these men in our time that's remaining this afternoon. Lessons that we need to apply to our lives uh, today and the week ahead and the month ahead. Uh, the first thing we learn about these two men were that they were men, and God wants men and women who are available. Available. They were available. Look at verse 19. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly on to you. He uses these words to say it. The phrase to say is so common in the New Testament it turns up 79 times. And four of these references are found in chapter 2 of Philippians. Paul is concerned about the church at Philippi. But this phrase to send not only speaks of Paul's concern but it speaks of Timothy's availability. The willingness of Timothy and Epaphroditus to go anywhere. You see, you'll find these words to say in verse 19 in our passage, in verse 23, and verse 25, and in verse 28. But who do you say? If you're Paul, who do you say? Well, you send people who are available. You don't want to wait around and have to coax people to go and move into action. You know, when I was a wee boy, there was a toy that uh, was a craze maybe when I was five or six and it was called Action Man. Action Man. These action men would have been all the craze and you would have been going into the shop and looking for the latest one and the latest outfit for them and you would have played away with them. These two men, they were action men. They, they were all about moving. They were action men. And they were available. You don't want to wait around for people and cajole them to do something. These were men who were willing they didn't need plea. Well, please, will you go? Will you do this? Will you go and do that for the Lord? They didn't need plea, but they were already available. <laughs> These characters, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were always available. Let me ask you, are you available for the Lord? I don't just mean available to do the things that you're comfortable and happy enough doing. I mean, if God planned to send you to some dark corner of the globe, to be a servant, to, to reach souls who are in darkness, would you go? Would you? Would you be available? Henry Martin on the eve of his departure for the mission field said this, I go to burn out for God. Are you prepared to do that? If it proved to be God's will for you, would you be willing to go to the darkest places of this globe to burn out for God? Timothy and Epaphroditus were ready at any moment to go anywhere and to do Paul's errands and to serve their master. You see, they were available to the Lord. They were available to the Lord. Look at verse 19 again. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. What does Paul mean when he writes, In the Lord Jesus? Well, to hope in the Lord Jesus is a description of what it means to be a Christian. 
Because a Christian is someone who is in Christ Jesus, someone who formerly was not in Christ Jesus. And oh, they, they may have been into religion, and they may have sat in church buildings week after week, but that doesn't mean that they were in Christ. And when the, the, there was a day that dawned in the life of the believer, and it dawned for Saul of Tarsus, when they realized that they had offended a holy God, and that they were sinners, and that the Lord Jesus was a great Savior who died on the cross for them, and laying hold of these great promises, they were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It wasn't simply that they plugged into the information in Scripture. It wasn't that they responded to manipulation. But God the Spirit came and convicted them of sin. And the child of God, the person, the sinner, they received Christ as Savior under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's a great transformation. And it's a work of God. It's something that God does. And He takes a man or a woman and He places them when they receive Christ as Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two men, they were Christians. They were saved. They were in Christ. Now I have to ask each today, I don't know that every person in this room knows Christ as Savior. And if you want to make yourself available to the Lord, the first thing you have to do is come to the cross and bow the knee. Repent of your sin and be converted. You see, to be available, you need to be saved. And Timothy and Epaphroditus in Christ. They were saved. And you see, if you're saved, if there's part of this that will come naturally to you. How do I know this? Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And they were available to the Lord because the Lord had saved them and they were in Christ. But they were also available to others. They were available to serve others. Timothy served Paul. But he was willing to go and serve the Philippian church. And Paul can't speak highly enough of Timothy, for he says in verse 20, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. The word naturally there, it means sincerely. It means genuinely. I wonder, are you sincerely and genuinely devoted to serving others? Timothy was someone who really cared. He wasn't doing things to promote his own name. He was doing things because he cared for others. I read this illustration in preparation for this sermon and I thought it was great. Many years ago, Dwight Morrow told a group of friends that he felt Calvin Coolidge had a chance of becoming the President of the United States of America. And all the friends disagreed, saying that Coolidge was too quiet, that he, that he lacked colour and political personality. And one said that no one would like him. But Dwight Morrow's daughter Anne, who was just six, was in the room. And she said, I like Mr. Coolidge. Then she held up her finger, which had a plaster on it. And she said this, He was the only one of you who asked me about my sore finger. And her father nodded and said, Gentlemen, there's your answer. A man who cared. I wonder do we really care, each of us, about the flock here at Grange Baptist. I wonder, do we care enough to ask one another to pray, to phone, to visit those who are sick and in need? Timothy cared. 
genuinely care. This man had a big heart for people and was ready to serve anyone. Available to the Lord. Available to others. But secondly, I want you to see that God wants men and women who are sensitive. Now go with me in that. Sensitive. Sensitivity is vital because there are all kinds of people putting their hands up and they're saying, I'm available. But, but you can't use them because they're insensitive. I don't know if this happened in everyone's school days, but I know in my school days it happened and also when I was a teacher. So it's when that person comes into the room with a job that needed done and you knew there was a chance as a pupil that you could get out of the classroom. And this person, they were looking volunteers, and you knew this was your chance to leave. And I remember classmates and I arrived and they, please, 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 pick me, please. And it wasn't necessarily that we wanted to go and do the job that what we were being asked to do. It was to be anywhere outside the four walls of our classroom. The teacher would know that we were very available, we would make that very clear. But she also would know that we were totally insensitive to the job that we were volunteering to do. And so as available as maybe I might have made myself, if I had no interest in the task, I wouldn't be very useful. Therefore the teacher would know not to send me out. And in the same way, there are people who make themselves available, but they don't have a genuine interest in the well-being of other people. They may want notice. They may want to please. They may want to be regarded highly, but these people are useless until their availability is matched with sensitivity to the task. A sensitivity to the Word of God. Understanding Christian God. A sensitivity to the Spirit of God knowing his leading in their life, a sensitivity to the people of God and the purposes of God amongst his people. So that they don't go off into some strange, scattered idea with no sensitivity. And Paul writes in verse 20, Timothy, I've no man like-minded, but he also goes on and he speaks about Timothy's servant mind and his servant's attitude and his servant's heart because he says in verse 22 of Timothy, he hath served me in the gospel. And like his Lord and Master, Timothy thinks of others and not himself. He was not interested in winning friends and influencing people, but he was genuinely interested in the physical and spiritual welfare of others. You see, there were hundreds of Christians in Rome. That's where Paul is. That's why I get the context again. Paul's in Rome. And there were hundreds of Christians in Rome. And in fact, if you take time to read Romans 16 this afternoon, you'll find that Paul mentioned 26 names of Christians who were in Rome. Not one of them. Not one of them were available or suitable to make the trip. In verse 21, Paul said they were all seeking after their own interests. And in a very real sense, each believer lives their lives in either two camps. They're either Philippians 1.21 Christians or they're Philippians 2.21 Christians. Philippians 1.21 reads, For me to live as Christ and to die as he. And the other verse, chapter 2, verse 21 is, All seek their own. Timothy is serving in the gospel with Paul. He's serving as a son with him. And at this time, Timothy was sensitive to Paul's needs. 
And Timothy's usefulness is directly related to the fact that unlike others, he was not totally self-obsessed. He's not concerned just about his own interests. He's concerned about the needs of Paul. He's concerned about the needs of the gospel. He's concerned about the needs of God's people. And he is genuinely interested. Naturally, says verse 20, he naturally cares for your estate. Epaphroditus, in the same way, look at verse 26. It says, for he longed after you all, and was full of happiness because that he had heard that he had been sick. Why would he be full of happiness and distress because they heard he was ill? Because he cared for them. They were concerned for him, but he was worried that they were worried for him. And it's amazing when you see that. And why would Paul be so concerned about Epaphroditus' estate? Because, because look there, Paul says that Epaphroditus, had he died, it would have been sorrow upon sorrow. Paul said that at the end of verse 27. Paul was extremely concerned for Epaphroditus. And why would Paul be concerned? Because Epaphroditus was sensitive. He wasn't just available. He was sensitive to Paul's needs. And Paul, the same sensitive to Epaphroditus' needs, he cared. <coughs> Genuinely cared. And was available because he cared. Why did Paul want to keep Timothy with him and not let him go? Because presumably Paul was fearful of the future and Timothy was an encouragement to him because Timothy genuinely sensitive, not just available, not just saying pick me out of it, I'll go, but actually sensitive to the task, sensitive to the people, and loving God's people because of the character of the child of God. And these two men, they were available and they were sensitive, but finally I want you to note that these were men who were reliable. They were reliable. Do you see how these things build on one another? You could be an available person, but not tremendously sensitive. You could be available, and you could be sensitive, but you can get someone who you can't count on. If you ask them to do something, they don't follow through. What use is it? You see, it's not that Timothy and Epaphroditus were exceptional people, they weren't. They were the same as you and I. There was nothing to behold in them. Timothy made his mistakes. They were weak. <coughs> and it wasn't that they were without personal difficulties. Because both these men were full of personal difficulties. But when Paul thought about Timothy and Epaphroditus, he knew that he could rely on them. And if we had met Paul today, or in those days, and said, tell me about Timothy, he would have said, you know what? You always know where you are with Timothy. Timothy's word is his bond. Timothy's actions are consistent with his words. Indeed, he would have said, in point of fact, I've got nobody else like that. He's reliable. I can trust him. And the reliability of Epaphroditus stands out as Paul builds these phrases here in verse 25. Because Paul says this, Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, listening, my brother, my brother is reliable, my brother, my companion and neighbor, my fellow soldier. 
He says all these things about Epaphroditus. He builds it up. My brother, he shares the same interests as me. I'm in union with him. And he's my companion and fellow soldier. A companion in labor is what he says. Fellow soldier. Now those words speak to me about reliability. A soldier is regimented. They're there to be there in time. They're to be always available. And always turn up reliable. And Paul says to the Epaphroditus, he's that man. He's reliable. I can depend upon him. I can hand this very letter into Epaphroditus' hand. He's taken it to the church. And here we benefit from that letter today. Epaphroditus was reliable. And do you know really what this term, companion and neighbor and fellow soldier means? It means roll your sleeves up and get on with it. Now you might think that's not a very spiritual thing to say. That doesn't sound spiritual at all, Peter, roll your sleeves up. Did we not read Philippians 2.12 a few weeks ago and study it? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Roll your sleeves up. For it is God who is at work within you, and God enables you. God has given you the divine tools you need to roll your sleeves up and get on with the work. Nobody ever did anything well without a tremendous amount of effort. No actor ever delivered a film script well in such a way that they can bring laughter or tears without hours and hours and hours and hours of private agony to intone every phrase in the way that it should be said and done. No cricket player can take that ball coming at them at a phenomenal speed and smack it out over the boundaries without hours and hours and hours of practice. But people come to the Christian life and they think that overnight they're going to be spiritual giants, that overnight they're going to be really useful, and God's going to place his hand, and people try to say all you have to do is nothing, and God does everything. Well, if you do that, you're going to get nothing done. Because this is a very practical passage, and we find two very practical examples of men who rolled their sleeves up and gone on with it. And I want to call on the authority of God's word today, for each of us to roll our sleeves up, to roll up our spiritual sleeves and to get to work for the Lord. To place the scriptures in our daily lives, to, to be about the acts of service and compassion that God has called us to do, to be available, to, to be sensitive to the needs of those around us as, as a church fellowship, so that finally when the day dawns that we're gathered in Christ, that will be known that these two individuals available, sensitive, and totally reliable. Who are the ones that the Lord Jesus said will sit at the right hand of the King when he comes in glory of his Father? What does Matthew 25 say? Those who fed the hungry, those who clothed the naked, those who visited those in prison. Of course, this speaks of those who didn't do it for the praise of men, but they did it unto the Lord. And they are being rewarded on that day when he will bring to light the hidden things, and, and they will reward us for our work and labor for him. What a picture we find in these two men. What an example. They are two Christ-like examples that we find in Scripture. 
And I wish I had more time to show you more of these men, especially Timothy. There's so much in Scripture about Timothy. A beautiful character to study. But we have to round it up. But what we're saying here this afternoon is this. These are the finest qualities of Christian character. People who are available. People who are sensitive. Showing Christian love. People who are reliable. They turn up every time. You know they'll do what they say. You see, you could be a good Christian and you could be a righteous man or woman and not have, have these. It's, it's the difference between the price of coal and the diamond. It's the difference between a daisy and a beautiful rose. And spiritually, it's the difference between a soul simply being saved and having their ticket to heaven or a glorified saint sweeping in the gates with an abundant inheritance. See, Paul is saying that all of us have been given opportunities by God every day of our lives to be willing veterans, to be serving the Lord, being available, sensitive, and reliable, to be gaining great rewards, building up our treasures in heaven. And he's saying, don't miss the opportunity of the choice and the choices that you make. Choose to suffer for Christ. Choose to suffer to go anywhere. Choose to suffer to help others, no matter what the cost may be. I close with this illustration. A pig and a chicken were walking down the road one day. As they walked, they saw a sign advertising a breakfast to them of the poor. And the chicken said to the pig, You and I should do eat ham and egg for breakfast. And the pig responded, Not so fast. For you're just making a contribution. But I have to give him a whole sack. That's what Timothy and Epaphroditus did. They are marked out by Paul here in Philippians, two individuals who gave all of themselves, completely selflessly. For them, it was total commitment, available, sensitive, reliable. What is it for you? You know, I feel as we finish chapter 2 of Philippians, there's no other hymn that we could sing because it speaks of the mind of Christ. And we're going to sing in closing this part of our service, May the Mind... May the mind of Christ my Saviour dwell with me from day to day. Uh, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. This is what this passage has been all about, because that's what it started with. Paul gave the ultimate example of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Have this mind in you. And he's given these two examples, and he says, Here's two men who are putting that into practice. And dear brother, dear sister, the Lord can use you in the same way. Because we're no different than Timothy and Epaphroditus. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And we can be available.